for temptation to despair. What feels like, if I can fix this, it will never get better. So I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 8 for us. It's there in the bulletin or on the Pew Bible, page 557. You know what? I'm just going without this today. Too much of a hassle. Sorry about that. All right. Ecclesiastes 8. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. When man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. Because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go, go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. May God bless the reading of his word. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this time together. And whether uh, people are here in the sanctuary or online, we pray that you would use your word in our hearts, in our lives. We pray that you would communicate exactly what we need to hear in this moment that would encourage us and equip us and exhort us to your uh, will and your way. And Father, where there may be confusion or uncertainty in my words, uh, Lord, I pray that those words would quickly pass, but only what is true and what is right would remain because it is from you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Those are the words of Julian of Norwich. She was an anchoress. I mean, she lived her life in uh, a one particular place, a Catholic mystic from the 14th, 15th century. She wrote Revelations of Divine Love, which is thought to be the oldest surviving book written by a woman in English. She wrote during a period of great suffering and uncertainty. While she, when she was born, the Hundred Years year War between France and England was taking place, and when she died... It was still taking place. She lived through famine. She lived through pandemic. In particular, the bubonic plague, which is thought to have killed upwards to 50% of the city in which she lived. Three outbreaks occurred in that city throughout her life, and she herself nearly died from plague or some other ravaging disease. And many people at this time thought that this was the wrath of God. C.S. Lewis quotes that line, all shall be well, in a 1940 letter to Owen Barfield. And he later says, the real difficulty is, isn't to adapt one's steady beliefs about tribulation to this particular tribulation. This is in 1940, so World War II would have been going on. For the particular, when it arrives, always seems so peculiarly intolerable. I find it helpful to keep it very particular, to stop thinking about the ruin of the world, for no one is going to experience that, and to see it as each individual's personal sufferings, which never can be more than those of one man, or more than one man, if he were very unlucky, might have suffered in peacetime. It has long been the testimony of believers throughout all ages and all manner of circumstances that in Christ all shall be well. But you have to fight for that perspective, especially as you look out into the world and you see injustice and inequity and uncertainty, or if you want a word that starts with I-N, incertitude. And that's all in view in this chapter here. We see the world as it is, and we wonder if it will ever really, truly be different. And yet we forget that God promises us the new heavens and the new earth. We are groaning with the world in the pains of childbirth, Romans 8 says. But how easily do we lose sight that something better awaits us if we are following Christ. And my theme this morning is this. In Christ, all shall be well. And if you want to put parenthetically, even if it doesn't look like it right now. In Christ, all shall be well, even if it doesn't seem like it. And if this is true, then the follower of Christ is able to have a joyful defiance that can take shape in the face of all that vexes us so frequently. Our hope is in Jesus, who is making all things new. So we are seeking to become more and more shaped by Him and by His cross. More so than by our limited view and understanding of the world. And so we live with this truth that all shall be well. Despite 
what we see. Now, I'm going to do this a little bit differently. Usually, I give you points one, two, and three, and I do have one, two, and three. But I'm going to think of them as movements. I want to look at the causes of our vexation, the causes of, of our frustration or discouragement or despair. Not all of them, but simply what's here in the text. Then let's look at the cross of Christ and what it has to say and then connect back to Ecclesiastes. So first, uh, these causes, and I've already mentioned them, the injustice and inequity and uncertainty. These certainly cause us to question God's will and his way. Injustice is a familiar theme in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been brought up several times, sometimes under the theme of oppression. Oppression by leaders, by those in authority. And that's certainly a frequent cause of distress. And in the beginning of Ecclesiastes 8, what the author of Ecclesiastes is imagining is some sort of official in the king's court. And the king, particularly in this ancient Near East culture, he had absolute authority. Absolute power. And you maybe have heard the saying, what happens with absolute power? It corrupts absolutely. But in this culture, in this time, it's imagining someone in the king's court having to see the injustice or the impression. And what do you do? You might think of Joseph in Pharaoh's court. How did he manage? It would have required great wisdom to know when to speak up and when to keep your mouth closed. Or think of Daniel in the Babylonian courts of power. It required wisdom to know when to speak up and when to hold your tongue. That's difficult. Regardless of our relative power or position, you could be in the same position, not with a king, but maybe a boss. And you have to know, when do I speak or when do I not? We find ourselves in this place. And Ecclesiastes is seeking to provide the balance of wisdom in such a matter. It's verses 2 and 3. Keep the command, uh, king's command because of God's oath to him. Verse 3, be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. It's very realistic here. So again, there's a time to hold your tongue, especially in a matter that may only be foolish or unwise. But there's also a time to stand your ground, which will require courage. That's not easy, is it? Do you remember what the most frequent defense by those who were being tried for war crimes in World War II, Nazi collaborators and people in the Nazi party, what they often would use as a defense. I was only following orders. Now, thankfully, that defense was found wanting. It was not an adequate defense for the evil that was perpetuated. But we do see injustice in this world. We also see inequity. Uh, the picture broadens. The author of Ecclesiastes takes it to us to a scene of a community celebrating what is evil and neglecting what is righteous. You know, someone's wicked is being buried. They're having their funeral and everybody's singing their praises. You ever been to that kind of funeral? I, I've conducted them where you know about the person that you're you're leading that funeral for, that they lived an evil life. It's a very difficult position to be in. But it's especially hard when people are pretending like none of the evil existed. 
We see this iniquity. People celebrating who shouldn't. They're cheered, not condemned. And it's discouraging to see people get away with their sin and without consequences. We have that saying, yeah, he could get away with murder. And the author here says, that happens. And all it does is encourage more wickedness and more inequity. Verse 14 takes the widest view. There's a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. So good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people, if you wanted to look at it in the broadest sense. And does that not trouble you? It troubles me. Because what it leads to is a place where I want to scream out, that's not fair. You ever feel like that? You look at that, you, you see this sometimes, this happens in the, in the school setting with children. Someone perpetuates the problem, someone else gets roped in, and both people get in trouble. And the person who got the child who got roped in says, that's not fair. We feel that. We feel that inequity. And the world operating on principles apart from the Lord is not interested in fair. And so you're tempted to discouragement. And then there's the uncertainty of it all. As Ecclesiastes ends, this chapter ends with the reality of the uncertainty that is true even for those who are wisest among us. And you can do all the right things and still be uncertain about the world you live in. And even about the Lord's work. Verse 17, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So the wisest person in the world would not be able to be completely free of uncertainty. And I don't know how you think about yourself, but I know I don't consider myself the wisest person in the world. Not even close. I think certain family members would agree. There's a loud amen. (laughs) So, and yet, do you find yourself thinking? (laughs) I, I, I said this before. If I were king, I would do things this way. If I were queen, I would order things this way. If I were God... If you want to take it to that extreme, or more like we think, okay, not if I were God, but come on, God, get with it. Clearly, this is the right way to handle this problem. Wouldn't it be great if certain world leaders might just collapse from a heart attack right now? I'm being honest. So in my mind, I think, okay, I have a certainty about how things should be, but that's not how they are. And so that leads me to a place where I'm uncertain. You don't just see life with these various troubles. They are troubling. And Scripture does not minimize the evils that exist in a fallen world. And it does call on us who follow the Lord and Christ to live and work for what He commands. But we'll never be able to do that on our own. And so I want to 
move to the cross now and see how it shapes us and reshapes us. So take those realities of injustice, inequity, uncertainty. And what does the cross have to say about those things? Are you bothered by injustice or inequity or do you have uncertainty about God's work? You should be bothered by those things. You should be bothered when you see a man beaten by police in Memphis, beaten to death. Or you should be concerned about a culture of death that seems to further uh, not life and not flourishing and not shalom or peace, but instead something much worse. And do you not only wonder what's wrong with the world, but also how long, O Lord? How long will we suffer or have to endure? How long do I have to say, I don't understand? But you see, in Christ, we can also say that all shall be well. And how can we say that? Well, the first is that the cross is the answer to all injustice, especially your own. Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the cross is saying that God is a just God And your sin deserves the penalty of death, but he's also the justifier so that in Christ you can be right before God. And if you want to say something's not fair, now's the place to do it. Is it fair that Jesus, who even non-Christians would say is one of the most, if not the most, righteous men to ever live. Of course, as Christians, we say much more than that. How is that fair? It's not. But Jesus on the cross shows you that God is just to deal with sin, all of it, and is the justifier of your sin. And so wisdom will seek out the truth about our need for salvation as much as our need for the Lord to set the world right. And so if you go back to verse 1, the author of Ecclesiastes says, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Do you know what that's describing? That's describing a follower of God who knows that his sin has been covered by the blood of Christ. Knows that his sin has been dealt with, and so your face shines. That's wisdom. Like Moses, we are reflecting the glory of the Lord as we come nearer to him than we ever dared. And so Jesus and his cross opens the way for us. So yeah, I don't understand a lot. I have uncertainty. But trusting the Lord is not dependent upon having all the answers, but learning to live in light of the answer. And learning to live in the reality that you are justified, forgiven, reconciled, adopted, an heir of promise 
in Christ. So let's connect this further then. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes, having looked at the cross, having seen the causes of our distress. And let's pull these things together because what the author of Ecclesiastes does is leaves us breadcrumbs to the cross. He's obviously writing before Christ, but there's some things that we can see. So let's not forget the promise of judgment against sin and evil that is all over the Bible. And death is the ultimate warning of that for all. So look back at verse 8. No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. So yes, there are certain world leaders that I would wish death upon right now. But no matter how much they expand their territory or try, they will not be able to expand their life. They will not be able to expand eternity for them. And apart from Christ, they will suffer an eternity in hell. You see, there are limits to the power of man. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And so you have to fight to remember this reality that God is the righteous judge. Now that's not to encourage you towards an apathy about injustice or oppression. In fact, the Lord may have his people in positions in the government or authority to bring about God-honoring laws and sentences against crimes to warn of greater judgment. It also may mean speaking courageously against evil men or women, even if it poses a threat to our earthly lives. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Don't fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body, soul and body in hell. It reminded me, I was reading an article, and it reminded me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1930s, Germany. As Hitler rose to power, he's a Lutheran pastor, a theologian, an author. And in 1933, he warned that the leader must radically reject the temptation to become an idol. That is the ultimate authority of the lead. Which is exactly what Hitler was raising himself up to, was an idol of the people. And it would cost Bonhoeffer his life. As the war was ending... As Europe was being liberated, Bonhoeffer, after being imprisoned for one and a half years, would be hanged to death. But you see, he feared not those who could kill the body, but he feared the keeper of his body and soul. He entrusted himself to God. Also remember that God's grace has the last say in our lives, so we seek to grow in Our fear of the God who is for us. Look at verses 12 and 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Do you hear that? That's what led me to that theme. In Christ, all shall be well. It will be well with us. When we are in Christ, it will be well with us when we trust our lives with God, no matter what inequity we see in the world that causes us to say it's not fair. We're reminded that the cross is level ground for every sinner. 
None of us come before God claiming any superiority of our race or our intelligence or our bank accounts or anything else you can imagine. At the cross, we're standing on level ground. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 And again, this is not to encourage you to ignore or diminish real problems. It's simply to raise your eyes a little bit and help you to see beyond them. To see those greater realities. And we may not have certainty about the world we inhabit, but we can live with a tangible and defiant joy because we have become certain of our God the more we grow in our trust of Him. Even when we don't understand His ways. We receive the gifts and graces that He gives to us. And I commend joy, verse 15, for a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So when you go out from here and you sit down for lunch or sit down for dinner later, give thanks to God who has given you those things. Those are gifts to you and are reminders that you can be certain of his goodness. Yes, it comes sometimes in small ways, almost imperceptible, and yet there it is. So receive his gifts, give thanks, and submit your life to the Lord in every circumstance. I'll conclude with this. My friend and fellow Pastor Ken shared a few different things that he kind of pulled all together, and it, it seemed appropriate as it fits our theme that in Christ all shall be well. First, he quoted from Isaiah 66. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. And then Revelation 21, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And then finally he quoted from Augustine at the conclusion of the city of God. There we shall rest and see, see and love, love and praise, This is what shall be in the end without end. Indeed, all shall be well. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your word again. Thank you for helping us to see both the reality of the difficulties we face, the honesty in which Ecclesiastes faces it, And helps us to face it. But we also thank you that we can see beyond these discouragements and these difficulties. And Lord, the things that cause us to despair. And to see the hope that lies within. The hope that is eternal. The living hope that is in Christ. Lord, that indeed we might worship and praise you. Even as the earth is giving way. As the mountains are crumbling into the sea. Lord, we know that you are with us. And so we, we still our hearts and we come before you and we take you as our refuge. Father, we thank you for that and that we see that most evidently through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.